internets. Welcome to a new episode of The Light. I'm Scott Pearson, and as always, I'm joined by the ever unpredictable Detron Edwards and the mythical and diabolical John L. Fellas, what's up? What's good? What's up? What's up? What's up, Scott? What's going on, John? How was your week, man? Good, man. Good. You know, just enjoying the love on the uh, fan pages. Mm-hmm. You know, I, 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 I keep saying it. I keep saying it. To me, the love that we're getting from the fan page is just absolutely tremendous, Scott. I think this week alone, I think we jumped close. I mean, over a few hundred on the fan page. The downloads are crazy. We're fastly approaching 15,000 downloads on the last episode. So that's just going bananas. The Twitter page has exploded. Uh, the IG page is steadily bubbling. Um, we're almost finished with the uh, ordering site. So people can start getting some of that uh, light podcast merchandise. The t-shirts, we're going to have the uh, hoodies, the ladies' shirts, and everything coming out for the uh, winter apparel. So, I mean, it's it's just been busy, man. I mean, we've been we've been humping over here. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. I mean, you remember last week I said, I don't think they was ready for that. I mean, Flash and the Furious Five, I mean, that's not really a topic that, that comes up on a regular basis. You know what I mean? So, when you hit it, from a discussion standpoint, you know, people start recognizing and they start reminiscing. A lot of that conversation that we got on the fan page was right up, you know, those lines. And we, just like you said, man, we definitely appreciated it. And uh, we, we always enjoy interacting with the listeners. It's always fun, you know, to go back and forth with them. And it's, 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 it's good to see that there's people out there that share our passion, you know what I mean, for hip hop. So I I definitely agree with you on that, man. All right, that's right, where you right, man. <coughs> I'm right here, man. I'm right here. I'm, I, I was actually uh, taking time while looking at the fan page. <laughs> I'm enjoying life and enjoying the fan page and uh, some of the, uh, the comments that are being said. So I appreciate it. And people, please keep it up. Keep listening. Keep watching. We got big things coming up. Uh, like I said before, um, the uh, November 29th, Stress Factory, New Brunswick. I'm at uh, that show for the roast of the godmother of comedy, uh, Tina Graham. Mm-hmm. I'm there for that. I'll be sitting down soon about a uh, TV spot, hopefully a TV show that we're going to push, and hopefully Comedy Central picks it up. And uh, other big things that uh, we just discussed that will be happening with the Light Podcast soon, so make sure you guys stay tuned. And you never know when one of my crazy family members or, or a friend or something like that jumps on the show so my my cousin is our security IGB and uh, <laughs> he's a funny dude I mean y- y'all y'all sit out there and laugh but you don't understand it's like th- this dude had to be trained on how to really do real security because he's been in the penile so long that uh you know he's in here doing security while we're in the studio and he's like right standing next to me like leaned up on me like ain't nobody gonna touch nothing like dude we're in the studio it's, it's secure it's, it's all right man you ain't got to do nothing He's like, listen, I don't care if one of these dudes might jump up and have a shank on him, and I'll go back or something like that. <laughs> Dude, ain't nobody killing nobody in the studio. So, I mean, keep him employed. That brother gets loose on the streets, he might go back. You know, we're going to keep everybody coming back, and y'all just keep listening. The last episode we did with Flash and the Furious Five was a, was a monster episode for us. But I'm going to get right to the point. This week, we concentrated on none other than the great LL Cool J, Uncle L. We spent a lot of time going over his debut album. We got a great show in store for you. But um, before I let I let Dent and John loose on the album, I want to ask you guys a question that um, that's kind of been bothering me, you know, as we do this show week in and week out. Um, 
I talked about it before. You want me to call? You want me to call IGB? Nah, not yet. Not oh. yet. Not right. yet. Not yet. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. Not yet. What I need though is your honest opinion about something. I said this before, man. I have a serious disdain for lists, for goat brackets, and things of that nature because they're subjective, you know. And so, you know, what's good for you might not be good for the next person. Okay. But when you talk about the greats, when you talk about the icons with respect to hip hop. There are some names that belong on these lists, whether you like them or whether you're being objective or not. So my question for you guys is why? Why is it when a magazine, a website, a blog, you know, a TV show is having a discussion about the top MCs, you know, hip hop artists, the top albums? Why is it that LL is never mentioned at the top of any of those discussions. Because they're afraid. Any real hip-hop head knows you can't talk about hip-hop unless you mention LL. There is no other way you can possibly talk about hip-hop. Let me help everybody understand something. Without Rock the Bells, without radio, hip-hop is not at the level where it is today. It's just that simple. If you understand how important Rick Rubin is to hip-hop, then you understand how important LL is to hip-hop. Because they both started pretty much at the same time, and they both needed one another. Mm -hmm. When you look at Rick Rubin, he came through with Run DMC. Yeah, Run DMC was doing their thing. But Run DMC, and no disrespect to Run DMC, because I think they are, you know, definitely on the Mount Rushmore of hip-hop. But they could only take hip-hop but so far. They had, they had taken hip-hop from the on-the-corner battle rap to, okay, let's get it socially acceptable. And then, okay, now from socially acceptable, here comes Uncle Al. And now Uncle L, like it or not, I don't care what you say, he brought the ladies to hip-hop. He brought that whole sex appeal side to hip-hop. And it was missing. He made it up. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. It was definitely missing before that. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because nobody was nobody was checking for that. Mm -hmm. There were females who liked rap music or, you know, hip-hop and, you know what I mean, and, and run DMC. But when they got LL... They liked LL because they liked LL. Ladies, ladies love Cool James. If they're not putting LL on the list, then that list is 100% disqualified. He is one of the most important steps in hip hop, period. Because without LL, you don't have Jay-Z. Without LL, you don't have Nas. People need to understand that. And if you understand how art matures and how art grows art is just like a tree you can't cut out the middle section of a tree and still have that space exist and that tree be the same height that it was without that middle section it's not possible you need that middle you need that and l is that middle period you know what i love about ll man what's that word i love man what's that i can't remember aficionados aficionados <laughs> damn i love that word man with these so-called aficionados that are just totally discounting l l never complained he just kept nope. he just kept releasing records he kept releasing albums he kept doing his thing you know what i mean because he didn't need that apparently you know he didn't need that justification he didn't need that acceptance from the community he knew 
he was dope. He knew there was only one LL Cool J. When I moved to Maryland, I met some people, you know, through work and things of that nature. And then later on, you know, a couple years back, President Obama, Senator Obama was running for office. Facebook, you know, was popping. I'm doing my political Facebook thing from my page, you know what I mean? Being my social commentary self. And this dude started disagreeing with me. And it was a dude that I knew because I used to work, you know what I mean, with his wife, so on and so forth. He starts disagreeing with me back and forth, whatever. And I remember just shutting him down to the degree of, look, bruh, you know, started talking about how he never liked me and all that. I was like, look, I ain't never seek your approval. Ever since I came to Maryland, I was in my own lane. I ain't never wanted to be in your lane, I ain't never tried to be your friend, I ain't never tried to kick it with you, I ain't never tried to be involved with you. But every time you got your mouth open about me, you throwing hate. So you got the problem with me, I ain't got a problem with you because I don't even see you. You're not on my radar. You know what I mean? And I love when Hova said, said it, you know, Hova said it best. I got my own lane already, H-O-V. <laughs> I'm already in my own lane, you know what I mean? So, you know, you're over, I ain't even worried about you. The same thing with L. You know what I mean? Why is LL worried about what somebody thinks about him when he's steady walking to the bank getting paid for what you said that he can't do or that he wasn't good at and he's getting paid well? So I don't care about your opinion, you know, because obviously somebody's buying it. Rock the Bells is going to be or radio is going to be 30 years old. So some of these people making these lists weren't even alive. When Rock, the, when L was 15, dropping his first thing and helping to launch Def Jam. LL is Def Jam. No question. So no how question. can you put a list together about greatest hip hop artists of all time and you don't have Def Jam? He is Def Jam. Def Jam's first major release. I need a beat. Come on. Mm. Come on. Come on. And you know what, man? You know what? I'm so happy we're having this conversation, man, because you think about a lot of these um, so-called debates and whatnot. Who's the best? Who's the best? Who's the best? Who was the best MC in the year 2000? Think about it. Pac, yeah. Pac died. You know, Biggie died. You know what I mean? So there was a huge power grab. There was a vacuum, right? And people were self-proclaiming themselves to be the best. And it was really, really bad around 2000. And it really hasn't stopped since then. You know what I'm saying? But who was really hitting it back then, 2000? Who was it? Off the top of my break, it's going to be Jay-Z because he had just re-released Reasonable Doubt. Um, out, outside of him, I mean, you know, again, he, he took that run-on sentence from 95, from the time he dropped until the mid-90s. He was, your, excuse me, to the uh, early 2000s. He was releasing something every freaking summer. Right. He was flooding the streets, so... Outside of him, I mean, you had some blips and blurbs, you know what I mean? You had No Limit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Hot you know? Boys, all them. They were all coming right. up. Right. You know what I mean? Right. You had, yep. You had that Southern thing. Right. You know, Outkast was definitely doing it, Def. You know, Outkast was definitely kicking it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you had, I, th I think Scarface was on his second release at that time. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now you're feeling me. Now you're seeing where I'm coming. I mean, people, there was a resurgence. People were starting to throw throw material and content out there and you know everybody was so proclaiming you know the, the south was saying that's where hip-hop was you know the east coast that's where hip-hop was the west coast the midwest everybody was was you know saying that this is where it's at and right in the middle of all of that ll drops goat he drops an album 2000 called goat greatest of all time and nobody says 
nothing. Nobody comes at LL and says, you know, what the hell is this? Everybody gave L his respect. No doubt. No doubt. And I remember that distinctly, man. He came out of nowhere with that. He dropped gold, and everybody was like, you know what? Of course. How, how could you? He already established that a long time ago by everybody he's battled. He's murdered everybody he's ever battled. How many other rappers have been in the game as long as he has and can still transform his style and stay relevant? Not that many. So he can call himself greatest of all time because you know what? First to ever be signed to Def Jam, so you got to bow down to that. And the longest running member of Def Jam. So even though he's not with him now, but he was the longest running member of Def Jam besides the owners. You got you to gotta pay homage to that and bow down. Absolutely right. That's why I'm so happy that we're doing this episode paying homage to to one of the greatest icons to ever do it. No doubt, man. And I mean, and when you talk about L and you talk about hip hop, you got to also give credit to L for breaking open that pathway from hip hop to Hollywood. Because you figure, look at what he's done on that side of the fence. When you look at his career, man, I mean, mean, his biography is sick. Mm -hmm. From Grammys for solo performances to, you know, awards and everything you could possibly imagine. And, you know, for the most part, he's played it clean. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he he hasn't gotten into the gutter for the most part. I mean, you know. And that just goes goes back to what we said on, I think it was episode 11 or episode 12, where we mentioned Will Smith and how Will Smith never cursed in his hip-hop and his hip-hop still won, won Grammys. Mm-hmm. And the same thing with Will Smith, he catapulted and he went into Hollywood. He went from hip-hop to Hollywood. Another trailblazer. Here's the argument against, Will, uh, uh, against LL being the GOAT. You're not. And then he says, I am. and then after he says i am you have to look at his career and then you say oh okay yeah what you gonna say what you gonna say he is all right so you've been in the game since 1984 but i mean when you when you look at in 2008 you know he returned to music so he's still doing stuff ncis you know what I'm saying? And, you know, his clothing line. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. FUBU was his clothing line in 1996. Was that his clothing line or was he the sponsor of the clothing line? He, he launched a clothing line, FUBU, for us, by us, in 1996. Okay. Okay. So, well, people, now. Hold on. What people don't know, though, remember he, he did the Gap commercial? I do remember that. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And he had, he had a FUBU. Visor on in that commercial, and come on, Dad. Come on, Dad. People didn't pick it up that he actually had that visor on in that commercial. Exactly. And exactly. And when he was rapping, he threw in for us by us in his rap. But the thing exactly. is, the 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 producers of that commercial and the Gap marketing department never picked that up. And by the time they picked it up, it was too late. Was too the commercial was out there, and they had paid that man. <laughs> and, and he, he, he later on went to say that he did that on purpose. They gave him a different hat or something of that nature. He was like, nah, you know, I kind of like this hat a little better. And the four, and the FUBU emblem wasn't that big, so they didn't really pick up on it. Like, oh, okay, whatever, because it was just a visor. If you think about, now you're talking about the, 
that man's mental ability to shape the game the way that he wanted to shape the game. You understand what I'm saying? Now, I don't, though, you know, I don't really follow entertainers and all that stuff too closely with their personal life because, to be quite frank, I don't give a damn about their personal life. I mean, as long as they're healthy and they're not dying and nothing's happening bad to their children from that regard, you know what I mean? I don't wish them ill, I don't, you know what I mean? But I don't necessarily follow celebrities personalized because I'm not in it for that. I'm in it for the entertainment, what they do in their personal life, that's on them. But with that being said, I, it's, I'm hard pressed to remember an LL rumor that was negative with respect to him doing something in his personal life and or disrespecting women to a high degree and you, I mean, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So as far as also a leader and a pioneer and how you do it right and keep and keep your image, that man did it right there as well. So when you talk about leaders and trailblazers and people who really transcend the industry which they're in, how can you not say LL? I mean, come on. As Scott likes to say, he's checking all the boxes. All the boxes, man. Do you think that him, you know, moving on to the Hollywood thing, do you think that that, do you think that, that subtracted from his street cred or do you think it didn't affect it at all? It didn't affect it with me. That's the thing, man. That's the funny thing to me, man, because you know how fickle the hip-hop community can be, right? When you make that jump to Hollywood, you lose fans, and then, you know, it's the big misconception is, true or not, I mean, you gain fans that you didn't have before. It's a crossover appeal, right? And then you lose your quote-unquote street credibility with some of your real fans that you had in the beginning. But I don't think LL ever lost any of his real fans when he did that. Because L was authentic from the door, so he never tried to be something that he wasn't. He didn't try to be some, you know what I mean? He didn't try to be a freaking, you know, the hardest cat in hip hop. Right. And then go to Hollywood and, and play roles that were quote unquote, you know, not soft roles, but just quote unquote nice guy roles. You know what I'm saying? And just decent roles, you know? For the most part, I'm not saying every single role he played because he did play in that, you know, one movie with Omar Epps. So, uh, you know, where he was the drug dealer and stuff. So, you know, you got instances such as that. So I'm not saying the guy's squeaky clean and, you know what I mean, never, never faded. But at the same time, I mean, so he didn't have anything to depart from to come back to. So therefore, that's why I don't think he ever lost his fans because he was still being himself to a large degree. I don't think that uh, he lost any of his fans, really, from that show. I think he gained fans, especially the women, because they were able to tune in and see him every week. But at the same time, his shows were hand-picked. You remember the first show he did, with, it was uh, was a Full House or whatever, with Debbie, or not Full House, uh, In the House or something like that, with uh, Debbie Allen? Yeah. That that show kind of, you know, even though he was a, uh, he, he was a hurt football player on that show, that show wasn't too far from his personality. So as he grew on that show and started doing movies and other stuff, it was pretty much along the lines of his personality. Then as he started growing, he started transforming in Hollywood. You got to think about it. That's when his thoughts probably came in like, listen, rap is not forever. So I got to sit up here and I got kids. I got, you know, wife. I got everything to go about this stuff. So I got to sit up here and make sure everybody can eat and I could feed everybody. So 
that probably made his choice even easier as far as saying, you know what, either they're going to love me or they're going to hate me. In the meantime, I'm going to be paid doing it. So I think the adults understood what he was doing, and he still kept those fans, those petty people. You don't need them. But he definitely gained a lot more women by being on TV that much more, and especially his workout plan, you know, helped out. Mr. Lick Your Lips. Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait to hear what your problem is with LL. I know you're going to divulge it at some point on the show today. Yep. I'm going to tell it all, L. I'm going to tell it all. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh-huh, James. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll say this about LL. For any of the podcast listeners, if you're sitting there twisting your face right now because you may not have really heard radio before, push pause right now on this podcast. Go back, listen to radio, then come back and listen to this podcast because you're not going to be able to fully appreciate what we're about to dive into unless you have a level of knowledge to understand. I recently heard KRS-One talk about, you know, our perspective is only as good as the words that we know how to use. It's only as good as our knowledge. So the higher level your knowledge is, the higher your perspective, so the higher you will achieve. So if you don't have knowledge about LL in radio, go back and listen to it. And then listen to this podcast. Because what, you're, what we're about to talk about is pioneering, is groundbreaking. You're talking 1984, 85, what a 15, 16-year-old kid did in an industry that was only less than 10 years old. we like to give y'all a little history, black history, hip-hop history, and I'm going to add a little extra piece of history in there today, but uh, we're going to start off with this. November 13th, 1967, the first black elected mayor of a major city was in Cleveland, Ohio, and his name was Carl Stokes. That was a major accomplishment for us. However, I have found out uh, within the past couple of days that that wasn't the actual first black elected mayor or the first person elected to office if anybody can actually find that out because i do know the answer there were uh others elected to office back in the days as far as uh black african americans anything like that they were elected to 
office. And I'm going to tell you now, this was way back almost in the slave days. This person was elected to office and served 40 years in office. So if you can find that out for me, you uh, answer to the site, you get a free T-shirt. Now, on top of that, today, Ghostface Killer Bulletproof Wallets was released in 2001. Wu-Tang, you know, that whole click, just amazing. Now, the last bit of history I'm going to release to y'all, 1973, the birth of Zulu Nation under Africa Bambada is put out there. And you imagine, 1973, that's over 40 years of this one group being together, this, this Zulu Nation that spawned so much. The block parties that we put on, the graffiti, rock steady that are down with them. Uh, Jazzy Five, DJ Jazzy J, Cool DJ Red Alert. You got so many legends that I can't even name all of them. You got so many legends down with this one nation that are still functioning today as a nation and in hip hop as a power. Remember that. 1973, this month, over 40 years of being hip-hop legends. Salute, salute, Africa Bambata. Zulu Nation, peace. been and i say this every week and i know it's starting to sound dry and repetitive but i honestly mean it this time i don't think i've been this excited to do an episode in a long time i mean you're talking about uncle l ll cool j i mean we gotta show him you know his respect we gotta do our due diligence on this episode and i got no doubt that we'll do that but um we were asked a couple of days ago to do an interview to actually be interviewed all right, and we were going back and forth with the, with the guy that's going to interview us. And one of the questions that he said he's going to ask us is, what was your introduction to hip-hop? For me, it was LL. LL, I mean, at the time that he really popped, the time that he came out, I was 10, 11 years old. When radio hit, that was all, that was, we lived and breathed this, this record right here, this whole album. I mean, what else can you say about what LL meant to the culture? I think, you know, there, you cannot overstate the importance LL has had to uh, the hip-hop culture. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, when, you know, when this first came out, 1985, you know what I mean? He had the single that he released, the 12-inch in 1984. And then, of course, this, this earth shatterer in 85. I can honestly say by this time, because for me, my introduction into hip-hop, just following on your theme, Scott, was back in 1977-78 with Rapper's Delight and, and uh, Blowfly's Rap Dirty. You know what I mean? So both of those hit in my head at the same time. I remember we had this little computerized thing called a 2XL mm-hmm. that basically ran off of 8-track tapes. Okay. 
All right. Mm -hmm. So we used to listen to, you know, we used to take our parents, Richard Pryor, eight tracks and listen to those, you know what I'm saying? And mm -hmm. that sort of thing. So when Rap Dirty and Rapper's Delight came out, you know, 78, 79, you know, 77, that was my introduction. So when I first heard that and I heard the difference between Rapper's Delight and Blowfly's Rap Dirty, mm -hmm. my mind was already on two different ends of the spectrum with respect to hip hop. You didn't hear too much more of the whole, you know, blowfly, the rap dirty side of hip hop for another maybe 12 years, you know, 10 to 12 years. But then when LL hit, that was kind of the first time since that that initial kind of two directional fork for hip hop from its inception that you saw hip hop start taking a turn. So for me, I've been listening to hip hop at this point in time from 77 to 85, what is that? seven years right. eight eight years mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. so that's how long i've been listening to it so i've seen it go through its metamorphosis and seeing my first introduction to ll was of course in crush group he had a little cameo piece in that right he had a little cameo in crush yeah. group exactly yeah and then busted remember he looked at his boys yeah. he looked at his boy and said box yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 that was in front of rick rubin and uh forget the other guy in this uh was that runner rush I think that was Rush in the scene with Rick Rubin sitting at the table. Rick Rubin, but anyway. Dr. Jeff, Mr. Hyde, um, that was DMC and Jam Master J, because Jay went up You're right. Jack. Yeah. Jay, you, you was yeah. going to shoot him. <laughs> right, 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 right. Exactly, exactly. So when he dropped his radio piece, my goodness, it took, because you had Run DMC banging, you had that, you know, and Run DMC was still with the, and I don't want to say the old style, but they were still kind of with the original style of hip hop, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And and then when Al came in, and he came in with the, it was it was like rap, it was like rap on steroids. Yeah. Yeah, man. LL was like a kid, you know, coming through. That's why I think I could relate to him much more than the other artists that were uh, that were out at the time. I mean, you know, back in like it was 85, 86, I was 10, 11 years old. There was a celebrity basketball tournament at the Garden. It was WBLS against Kiss FM. It was me, my little brother, and my aunt took us there. My aunt Nadine took us up to the garden. So you're talking, damn, you're talking Chuck Chillout was there, DJ Red Alert, one DMC was there. But the only thing I remember was we had the front row seats behind one of the benches, and LL was sitting 10 feet away from us. He talking 85, 86 LL, right? And as a kid, you're talking, this was like God, right? And so right around halftime, LL turns around and comes over to us. And, you know, he's giving all the kids high five. We're going crazy. And so from that point on, it was it was just a major thing for me. Hip hop was just, that was it. That was everything. Because I had seen God. You know what I'm saying? I had seen LL. And so I came home, and that was it. That was it for me. Man, the hell with LL. <laughs> oh, here we go. Oh, you should have licked your Wait, palm. Dad, come on. Nah, really? you should have licked your palm and touched his hand so he got sick. Hell with LL. Oh, what happened this time, man? Listen, man, I tell y'all a lot of stories. Y'all, this one right here is the craziest one whatsoever. And I've told people, you know, we've talked about it for a couple weeks. I said that I was going to bring this up. So this story here is going to be something else for the listeners. Let me explain to y'all just the, the, all right, let me put you in the setting. It was at Mike Tyson's house in Burnett Township, New Jersey. It's me, Mike Tyson, Bobby Brown, and LL. Don't ask me why. Don't ask me how the four of us ended up together. 
we're sitting there and we're playing quarters. Now, Bobby's not even at the table. I don't know what was wrong with Bobby. This dude is walking around singing, lighting firecrackers off. And I'm thinking, okay, Bobby's going to burn something and he's going to get somebody hurt in here tonight because he's crazy. But he's singing a song who actually, eventually, he ended up doing with Damian Marley, Junior Gong, later on. Uh, he's walking around, like, talking about beautiful, pow, you're the whatever, beautiful, pow. He's just doing that, right? So I'm, like, nervous. I'm, like, I don't like loud noises around two big dudes. And I'm sitting between LL and Mike Tyson. Mm-hmm. And LL just keep making all the shots. He's like, bling, he's making Mike drink. And Mike, you can tell Mike is getting a little upset because LL ain't even asking me to drink. He's making Mike drink. And Mike was like, okay, funny man, okay. Okay, enough of the drinks, okay. He was like, all right, Mike, one last one, double or nothing. He said, if you make it, you know, if I, make, if I don't make it, I'll take a double shot. He said, but I'll tell you this, if I make it, you drink the rest of that bottle. Mike was like, all right, yeah, I'll go along with it. He did it. Bling, bling, pow, beautiful. That's what I'm hearing. And I'm sitting there, and he makes it in the cup. Mike looks at him, says, okay, funny man, okay. He swallows this bottle. He looks back at LL. He said, I tell you what, I've seen people <laughs> do stuff like this, but he clapped his hands together next to the shot glass and knocks the shot glass off the table. At this point, I've kind of raised my right hand and put my other hand down low and kind of turned sideways while I'm sitting at the table because I'm thinking if I freeze, maybe Mike won't see me. Like, like maybe he'd get a Jedi mind trick and be like, where is he at? He was here. He's just, he's invisible right now. I can't see him anymore. So I'm frozen at this point. LL's sitting there laughing. Mike picks up the shot glass and puts it in his hand and throws it all the way down the hall and it busts on the wall. All of a sudden, he starts to chase LL around the table. Now, mind you, I'm still frozen with one hand up, turned sideways, like Mike won't see me. <laughs> I'm thinking maybe if I won't move, Mike won't see me. And that'll be their problem. And all of a sudden in the background is still beautiful. Pow. Bobby's just doing this stupid crap in the background. What the? So I'm looking. LL grabs me. I'm like, oh, oh, wait a minute. Now, I've heard thunder and I've heard lightning. And what I can say is I heard that crackle. You know that crackle when it's lightning, like <laughs> that right there? I've heard that and I've seen that. And what I can honestly tell you is I've seen Mike Tyson hit people on TV. And I know it had to hurt. But all I heard was that crow, that, that noise right there. And Mike had hit me. All I remember is waking up, half my body is in the pool. My arm and my one leg is in the pool, and I'm waking up. And all I hear is, he's waking up, he's waking up, move, move, move. These three idiots run back in the house. They was bringing me push me in the pool, and they locked the door. Now, it's fall time. It's leaves on the ground, pool's cold, half of my body, the left half of my body is soaked, like I had a stroke or something. And I got to walk home because they won't open the door. Now, from where I live, Burners Township, by car, is 20 minutes. So imagine, that was like an hour and a half walk when you're cold and frozen. And my sneaker was untied. I had a high-top sneaker on, and it was frozen, too. So if it wasn't for LL, I wouldn't have got knocked out by Mike. And I'm going to tell you now, L, you were wrong for that. You know you was wrong. You owe me an apology. 
Mike, you ain't got to apologize for nothing because I, I understand he put me in the way of harm. L, you was wrong. That's why I ain't even want to do this show about you today. I was going to sit out because you know what? I ain't want to do a show about no man to lick his lips that much because if you lick your lips that much, you mean your mouth dry and your breath is probably stinking. And I ain't even get that close to you. But I know you was cheating, and I kept telling Mike he's cheating with the quarter. He's cheating with the quarter. But Mike wouldn't take my he wouldn't he wouldn't take my word for it, so he lost. And yo, that that was like the I don't I don't even think I felt my face swell up. It was just like lightning that hit me, and I was out. So forget LL, man. What was that? What was that piece that uh, Dave Chappelle used to do on his show with Charlie Murphy? Uh, the Hollywood stories. The Hollywood. Oh yeah, the Charlie Murphy. Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, we need to do that with you, man. Because no, well, no, Charlie had fun with some of his stuff. I'm I'm having incidents where these people are like, yo, man. That's what makes it funny, though. <laughs> I don't. Even, I don't even know. You ever find yourself in certain places and you sitting there wondering why the hell am I hanging out here? Like why? How did I get here? All the time. That's. <laughs> That's how it was that night. All right, so can we get your unbiased review of the album, though? This album was before mm-hmm. I hung out with LL that night. So okay, I'll review the album for my feelings back then before mm-hmm. I hung out with him. You know what, though? There's an element of truth to your story, man, because Mike Tyson did live in Burnersville, and Bobby Brown did live in Mendel. And I can see yeah. that happen. I can see that happen. And Marstown ain't but five minutes away from both of those places. Yeah. And LL, you queef. You said it, then you used me as a punching bag for Mike Tyson. You crazy man. So, so check it out. This is LL's debut album. So let me ask you guys a question to kick off the review. Critics say that this is LL's best album. Do you agree with that? Negative. No. Nah? Negative. Why? I think it's his most fierce album. Mm-hmm. Plus, he introduced us to a couple new styles in hip-hop mm-hmm. that we'll talk about later with, with two of his tracks. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because L started going after the ladies, and nobody was going after the ladies before yeah. to this part. Right, right. With that being said, I don't think it's his best of all times. Mm-hmm. I just think it's his most, I think it's his hardest one of all time. Yeah, I, I think I agree. I mean, before you give your side, let me just say this one last thing. I mean... This might not have been his best, but this is the one I played the most. You know, right? I mean? mm-hmm. To me, to me, this one wasn't his best. Bigger and Deffer was uh, was his best because that's when you saw all the different sides of LL come in. But I also think that the what L did with this album right here, and if you look at the track list, he was one of the first to and understand what I'm about to say here. He was one of the first to rap about breakdancing, to rap about dancing, to rap about b-boying. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you just look into, if you just look at some of the track lists, you know what I mean? You can't dance. Yeah. You know, I need to be your rock, you know, up rock, your rock. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I can't live without my radio. Everybody who was a breakdancer had to have a radio. Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, yeah. so everything throughout this whole thing, I need a beat. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I mean, everything throughout this whole track list to me. And again, we always talk about the art form being subjective. So therefore, through my lens that I view it through, he was the first one to really start giving that break dance, graffiti, that whole thing a name with that b-boying. And he personified b-boying in radio mm-hmm. from top to bottom. This is straight b-boy. He definitely hit on the elements with this album right here. I mean, one of the things that really endeared itself to me, LL took something, right, that was central to the culture. I mean, everywhere you went, there was music playing, and it was coming from the radio. You know what I'm saying? And he made a whole album 
about that, about that central concept of hip hop. And um, so right off the bat, I mean, even the album cover, I mean, you, you, you flip them through, you know, the tapes and all that in the store and you see this, you automatically pick it up because that's what you can relate to. You know, so right up there, the first track, I Can't Live Without My Radio, I mean, even just the name of the track, I mean, he was basically saying what everybody else felt. I mean, everywhere you went, that's where it was. That was a central piece of wherever you was hanging out at, whether you was playing ball, whether you was hanging out with your friends. I mean, it was always that, and it was always turned all the way up. Yeah, that's this dude right here, I give him credit. Just radio was an instant classic mm -hmm. for anybody that heard that. Mm -hmm. And then... Because some people have said, if you have a great music video, that just makes your, your album sales jump. He had Crush Group. That was a whole music video in itself because yeah. when he came in and introduced himself, it was like, you know, well, didn't really introduce himself. They was like, yo, no more auditions. And he wouldn't take no for an answer. He was like, box. <laughs> I mean, after that, I'm going to tell you, hanging out with my dude, King Son. Son has told me some people have tried that, like, you know, after seeing the LL, and uh, didn't work out too good for him. <laughs> and so his, his album sales just shot up crazy after Crush Groove. I don't look at radio as this, while he is painting a picture, he is an artist. He did use this canvas of hip hop to help us see into what it's like if you didn't have that boom box, what it was like to walk down the street with that boom box, because he, he even called out the type of boom box. My JVC vibrates the concrete, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. you know what I mean? He's, he's telling you, he's telling you from the door that, you know, I'm coming through with the thunder. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, I, I, when I think about L, uh, while this is definitely, you know, heavy on the rotation as I teach my kids about hip-hop, but when I think about L, man, I just think about how he transcended hip hop and how he brought hip hop to a higher level. Yeah. I would look at him, Run DMC, and a couple others like the Rock Kims of the world, KRS One, as that level of hip hop that took hip hop to where it could get today. I agree. Because without those guys, again, much respect to the founding fathers, Grandmaster Flash, Sugar Hill Gang, you know what I mean? But I don't know if they could lift it as high as it needed to be lifted in order to get to the level where it is today. You know what I'm saying? If you didn't have a Run DMC and LL Cool J, KRS-One, Rakim, you know, Kane, if you didn't have those guys, I don't think hip-hop would be where it is. Oh, I agree 100, sure. I agree 100, 150%, man. I mean, you know, LL... I, and correct me if I'm wrong, radio, this, this particular album here was the first one to go platinum, right? I mean, that 100 was, correct. Yeah, that was, that was unheard of back then. I mean, you're talking about in, platinum. In two years. Yeah, yeah in two years. Yeah. yeah. And it charted, it charted for over a year. I mean, this was major right here. You know, before, and don't right, forget, right. don't forget, he was the first artist to be signed to Def Jam. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't know that. And lasted with them uh, almost, what, 20 years before wow. they... Uh, he went on to, because uh, he's like, what, 25, 27 years in the game now? How many other artists out there can actually say that they've been with their label more than five years? This, this was breaking down barriers all over the place. Right. And like Scott, like you said, you know, it, it went platinum in only two years. I mean, it charted. Everybody had this. If you didn't have this, you weren't, you did not, uh, <laughs> you weren't in the hip hop to any degree. To any degree. None. I agree with you 100%. Farmers Boulevard. 
You know what I'm saying? That's, that's where the crib's at. <laughs> that's where we hang out, cool out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you know what? You can't talk about you can't talk about LL's genius without bringing in Rick Rubin. You know what I'm saying? Rick Rubin is the one that developed this sound. Rick Rubin did this one. He did Run's first album, and of course, licensed the ill Beastie Boys. I mean, Rick Rubin was the architect of all of this. Next track, You Can't Dance. For me, this track was funny as hell. He was basically clowning those dudes in the club or clowning those dudes at the party that held the wall up, that couldn't dance. You know what I mean? And I thought this track right here was funny as hell. I mean, I remember as a kid listening to this, we used to go back and forth on the lyrics of this and just be laughing our asses off. You take a can't dance bath, get drunk in the can't dance bar, put on your can't dance cologne. I mean, he was just going at these fools, man. It was funny as hell to me. And the funny thing is, the can't dance people are the cats who be in the club today. Everybody's standing up on the wall. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's funny how the, how the whole club scene has shifted. I'm not saying there is any dancing at all because mm -hmm. there is that side of hip hop that, you know, in R&B and stuff that they do play. Mm -hmm. so, so, you know, it's out there. But at the same time, man, you know, just like you said, he was making fun of those per, uh, those people who couldn't dance. Because why the heck else were, are you out here at the club if you ain't going to get down and dance? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? True. Well, to tell you the truth, a lot of a lot of around that time, a lot of brothers like myself, I could do my thing. But the one thing about it is, if you had a chick, I'm not going to be out on that floor with a bunch of dudes sweating and my chicks over there watching me dance and. Then next thing you know, Jody got your girl. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, she walking out the party with the dude that can sing and dance. And you out there on the dance floor dancing with a bunch of dudes, getting sweaty and stinking, smelling like 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 16 Jamaican slap boxing in the elevator. And, you, and next thing you know, okay, you looking around for your girl, and she upstairs in the bathroom in the closet with that dude. Nah, man. I was that one against the wall with my girl standing in front of me, grinding on my, my Johnson, and my hand just waving in the air. Like, yeah, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh. I'm just, my hand is just waving to the beat and my head is bopping. Like, yeah, uh-huh, that's it right there. I don't need to move no further. I don't need to know none of y'all dudes. I don't need to battle nobody in breaking. I'm breaking this right here. I'm breaking these draws. That's what it is. You're stupid. You're yeah. stupid. But let me ask you though: Was LL was he known as a dancer though? He used to dance on stage, like at the you know at the Fresh festivals and things. But it wasn't. But remember back then, man, you had you know you had dances people did. You know we had the Rubik's Cube, the WAP. You know what I'm saying? There were dances that we did. I mean, he wasn't a he wasn't a breaker. If that's what you mean by a dancer. Well, that's what I mean. I mean, was he somebody like like a kid who could really call out somebody for not dancing? You see what I'm saying? No. No, he wasn't. Yeah. He was, no, no. LL was no dancer, but I tell you at the same time, who could really dance back then? You have, have you ever sat there and done the WAP all night at the club? Yeah. You wake up the next morning, you need three pillows and somebody to massage your neck because your neck be hurting. You need an Epsom salt bath the next morning. <laughs> that was a dance that hurt. I swear to, yo, really, man. You at the club thinking, yeah, I got this. This is the one move I can do to WAP right here because all you're really doing is going from side to side. Man, you go home, next thing you know, you done tried to show the girl everything you had by dancing so she could talk to you. Boom, 
you in the bed, wake up the next morning. Now you're ne- now you can't turn to the right, and people talking in your face with all H words, and you can't turn away from them because they breath stink. Terrible. <laughs> Whoever made up the WAP need to go to hell. Oh man, you was doing it too. Come on. Come on, man. Everybody was doing, was doing the WAP. Yeah. Who wasn't doing it? I yeah. said I was doing it. I remember the parties back in the day. I mean, as fun as they were. It was hell for a lot of other kids, man, because think about it, man. You spent a lot of time clowning those dudes that thought they could dance or couldn't dance as opposed to actually sitting there getting your party on and having fun. No doubt. No doubt. You know what I mean? So I guess L.L. was one of them kids, you know? <laughs> yeah, and well, don't maybe, forget, like, one, of the, one of the dudes that was on the drill team or, or the, cheerle- the male cheerleaders, you can't dance. No doubt, man. No doubt. I mean, this is just a quintessential b-boy track. You know what I mean? Just right. again, ce- right. celebrating the hip hop culture, celebrating the, you know, like you said, the break dance, and just celebrating the fact that the music at that time was so celebratory. And when you hit the club, we were all just out there grooving. Right. You know, if we're going to fight, we're fighting outside the club because we don't want the club to get shut down. Mm-hmm. Now cats go to the club to fight in the club to see if they can get the club shut down. What kind of sense does that make? You know why they fight in the club to get it shut down while they in there? Because they're punks. They would rather have somebody call the cops and save them than fight outside with their hands and take an ass whooping. You sit inside the club, throw a couple punches and grab somebody in the security, grab whoever, and then they call the cops and the cops just turn it out. You go that way, you go that way. Mm-hmm. Now you got to go home. Man, a bunch of punks. I agree. I agree. Yo, event, there's a lot of rumors going around. It's so bad, baby, you might have to skip town. See something smelling fishy and they say it's you. All I know is that you're meeting with the whole damn crew. They say you're a man eater during the full moon. Mascot of the senior boys locker room. They said event walked in. There wasn't too much rap. Her reputation got bigger and so did a gap. Cause girl, your mama should have taught you better. I'ma sit down and write you a long letter. Next track. Dear Yvette, now, I didn't understand it, honestly, as a young, when I was young, because LL was going in on some concepts that as a young kid, obviously, we didn't really understand. But going back and looking at this track as a grown man, I mean, I think, I have a lot of respect for LL for for making this song right here. But he was basically, you know, going after those women that are living a particular lifestyle that they don't understand or that they shouldn't be living you know what i mean and and i think skeezers yeah and i think the fact that he put it on his debut album was real responsible of him you know what i mean no doubt man i mean just like i just said skeezers you know what i mean and i was a little older than you back when this dropped so i did know who he was talking about Mm -hmm. and on the funny side of life my sister was dating a guy, and his sister's name was Yvette Ooh. when this song came out. Mm-hmm. Now, she was totally 180 degrees opposite of what this song insinuates. Mm-hmm. However, because her name was Yvette, anytime he would come over and try to do the little stupid crap with me, I'd always, you know, whenever this came out, I would blast this thing. <laughs> and, you know, I don't know if he really would get, you know, let it get under his skin or rather he was just... You know, being a sister's boyfriend and just playing with a little kid. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I did know that this song was just talking about some loose women. And at the time that he put this out, like you said, he was our age. Mm-hmm. And let's not leave it lost on the podcast listeners. Go back and research who wrote a lot of this. And a lot of this was L. When you think about hip-hop artists prior to, I would say, I would venture to say prior to like 89, 90, mm-hmm. Most of the hip hop artists prior to that wrote 
all their own lyrics mm-hmm. or the majority of their own lyrics. Mm-hmm. So when you're thinking about this is a kid who is at this time maybe 18 years old mm-hmm. because he dropped out of high school to make this and him along with Rick Rubin, they went to this guy Chung King's house in uh, uh, Meadow in New York City mm-hmm. and that's where they recorded the whole album. So when you think about LL talking about basically a scallywag, you know what I mean? This chick who just everybody's running through. For him to drop out of high school, he had to be, what, 17 years old? Yeah. So you figure he was writing about chicks trying to dig him out and chicks that he's noticing who's getting all dug out by everybody in the hood at the age of 16 years old. This is a young mind growing up fast, you know what I mean? So we always talk about how the art form is born from you know, that struggle, that strife, everything that's compressed to make that diamond. So here is this young man at such a young age figuring, seeing all this nonsense and being able to articulate it through his mind and pull it out of his mind and make it wax poetically in order for it to be entertaining. So he understood it to the fullest degree. He didn't have a superficial knowledge of this. He understood it to the fullest degree. Looking back on it, like we said before, we always look at it from a retrospective with that double lens, looking at it from, you know, when I was 15, 16 years old, rocking this, I wasn't thinking about what I'm thinking about now, thinking this is a young kid talking about this. You know what I mean? He wrote most of these lyrics. So what had he seen up until that point in his life to give him the inspiration for this song? That to me is the question now in a retrospective type of, you know, yeah. Degree. I mean, look at the end of uh, the last verse. He's like, you're faster than my caddy when it goes downhill. Won't forget that day in the YMCA, the guy at the deck said it was okay for you to come inside because he knew that you was going to stay. I mean, you're right. At 17 years old, who knows about that? Who, who knows about that type of situation? For him, to, for him to know about it, he wasn't unique. Yeah. So there was a degree of individuals who were, call it for what it was. This was a gangbang song. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There were individuals back in the day running, you know, trains, gangbangs, whatever you want to say, on willing participants. Right. You know what I mean? That's what he's talking about here. Mm-hmm. You know, at that age. So now that we're adults and we hear some of the sexually explicit music that we hear coming from our kids or from the younger generation, we can only judge but so much because who wasn't banging Dairy Vet back in the day? So... When we try to teach the young cats about hip-hop, we also got to keep it to a certain degree even and not hypocritical. So while I don't like 60% of the hip-hop that's out there right now, like you so eloquently said, Scott, a couple episodes ago, it's an expression. Mm -hmm. So we ain't got to like it. It's subjective. You put it in a more poetic way than I did. But, you know, but I mean, just so let's keep that in mind as we, not just the three of us, but also the hip-hop community, as new artists come up and come out, let's keep in mind, let's not be so hypocritical because when LL sang Dear Yvette, we were all rocking it to some degree. You know what, man? I was thinking about that, what you just said the other day. Just listening to, I was thinking I was watching TV or something and the song came on. I can't remember the name of the track that came on. And I remember immediately I went to the negative. I was like, man, what is this bullshit? And I was thinking about exactly what you just said. I was like, you know what? Maybe I should be a little bit more objective because here I am talking on the podcast about, you know, how hip hop at its core is about expression. You know what I mean? It's about, 
you know, the art form. It's about, like what you just said, subjectivity. But am I living, am I listening to it with the same ear that I'm talking about on the show? And Hell no, you're not. You, you being objective. It's your opinion, your subjectiveness. That's what it is. And I'm going to be objective. And if you suck, you suck. Like some of these people who keep sending their damn DVDs and CDs into us. Yo, a lot of y'all suck, man. Cut it out. That, you know what, man? I'm putting you in charge of security. We got security. IGB all day. All day. That's exactly what I mean. I seen this girl walking down the block. I said, wait. Yo, baby, you want to come to my crib? Have some donuts and milk? Listen to a pop tune, baby. Please be his ex and be my bride. Don't blame it on yourself, sweet thing. You tried, love you, claim to share. Just wasn't there. You're too good for that, and it wasn't fair. Love's taking its toll. Your heart you stole. You was fooled by the face of a phony role. But I'll take up the slack, support you, baby. Now I'm a night shining armor can only be me. I cry out your name as you hold his hand. If you're not mine soon, girl, my soul is damn. I'm looking out the window at the stormy rain and the rush of the Making me sad, fantasize of the love we could have had. Cause I never met anyone like you before, and I can give you more. The next track, I can give you more. I think this song here was I Need Love before there was an I Need Love. Exactly. See, that's what I'm talking about. Some songs that was there before they tweaked it and put it on another album. No, I don't necessarily think that. Yeah, I, just, I honestly think that it's more of a situation with the fact that he was just trying different different styles. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, because he goes from talking about the neighborhood skeezer and, you know, Gary Vets about the jump off. So he goes from the jump off to just basically being completely head over heels about some chick that he can't have because she's, you know, with somebody else or don't like him, whatever that case may, you know, whatever that case may be. So it's so it's funny that you see that, like you said, Scott. To me, I can give you more. Was that first intersection that rap had with bringing women in? You understand what I'm saying? Because I can give you more. Started talking about the women. Now you had some female hip hop artists back in the day. The first female hip hop artist ever was Sequence. They came out right after Rappers Delight back in the day. You know so. You know, you, if you're going to give homage, you got to start from the beginning. You can't start from the middle. So when you when you look at the fact that he's bringing that that female fan, check out this love angle. Check out this hookup angle. Check out this. I can put this in the car when I'm kicking it with my girl, and I don't have to put on Donny Hathaway in a love song. Mm -hmm. I can put on a love song through hip-hop that, by the way, the beat is crazy. It is. One of the things you always know about LL is that he's going to bring you with some beats. He's going to hit you with some hardcore beats. Rick Rubin, shout out. You know, so you're always going to get those gritty beats coming with L. So when you when you think about a you know like a like a hip hop love song, and you know like Dead said before, you know what I mean. I need love was kind of you know it's definitely slower than than um, I can give you more. 
But the I can give you more beat. Oh my goodness, it's bananas. Yeah, that that little off kilter piano riff that was playing in the background, I was crazy. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. I oh like, yeah. I like that. Oh yeah, with with that classic Rick Rubin downbeat. Yep. You know what I'm saying? And it's just rocking. Cause what did he tell you in the opening? You know, in the opening jam is it's all about the radio. Mm-hmm. So if I'm gonna give you some hip hop love songs, I gotta give you a hip hop love song that's gonna pump through those speakers. You understand what I'm saying? So I got to give you that heartbeat. I got to give that to you. You know, and at the same time, he's talking to the female. You know, and to me, you can always see the fact that L was in high school. Yeah. Because of the subject matter that he uses for reference points. <laughs> I know he uses poetry. Yeah. You know what I mean? He uses Shakespeare. He uses Othello. He uses... You know, and those are things that you typically learn in your junior and senior year in high school. Mm-hmm. Albeit he dropped out, I'm sure at some point he had to take some correspondence. GDA ain't saying, you know, but for that, for him to make and see that's talk about that sacrifice. For him to make his album and go to this guy's house every day for a year, his parents had to see something in him. A lot of people had to see things in him to allow him to drop out of high school in order to do this. And I know, you know, eventually he went back and uh, took care of that uh, that requirement. That's for Dog on Shore. When you think about, like, how he's pouring everything into this and he's writing these lyrics over these Rick Rubin raw, Rick Rubin's new, Def Jam's new. This is all throw it in the pot, mix it up, gumbo. Mm -hmm. We don't know what we're going to get. I thought you were going to say before when you were talking about LL's reference points. I mean, you, you listen to the intro to this to this particular record right here. I can give you more. I mean, he's kicking game to the girl, right? He's saying, yo, baby, you want to come to my crib? I have some donuts and milk. Listen to a pop tune, maybe. <laughs> the, reason oh, yeah, why, yeah. the reason why that, that right there made me laugh is because he doesn't want to have donuts and milk, listen to a pop tune. You know exactly what L wants, you know? He and said maybe. Maybe, <laughs> yeah. But those are like code words, you know, for, you know, for what it was, but I remember listening to my grandparents. It was funny because I know this is like a little tangent or whatever, but my grandparents had code words very similar to that (laughs) that I didn't catch on to until my aunts and uncles would laugh about it later. But I remember every night my grandfather would ask my grandmother, he would say, Clara, you want some ice cream? And she would get so mad at him for asking her if he wanted if she wanted ice cream. And I remember being a kid, I remember <laughs> hearing that. I was so, hell yeah, I want ice cream. We would all be like, yeah, we want we ice cream. We don't want ice cream. <laughs> yeah. But my grandmother was like, hell no, I want no goddamn ice cream. You know, and I remember like not understanding why she was so mad about that. You know what I'm saying? But then listening to my aunts and uncles tell the story later, now I get it. I'm a little offended and a little disgusted right now <laughs> that you told that story. That's that right there, yo. That was that was a little foul, man. You don't talk about old people having sex, man. <laughs> hey, that's how we got here. Next track, Dangerous. I think with this particular track here, LL does what he was supposed to do and what other MCs do. They pay homage to their DJ. Even though Rick Rubin was the producer of the album, Cut Creator was his longtime DJ. 
Well, you know, don't like like you said, still at at this point in hip hop, that whole dichotomy between the DJ and the hip hop artist hadn't yet been separated. Mm -hmm. It was still pretty much one. Right. You know, which is why they're giving so much homage and giving so much credence to Cut Creator. Mm -hmm. And when you hear now, yeah, Rick Rick Rubin produced this and you know I'm looking at it from a fan's perspective I wasn't standing there <laughs> when he was at you know Fresh Festival 1987 doing this in Pittsburgh PA at the Civic Arena mm -hmm. you know what I mean with the Fat Boys and Run DMC I mean it was a crazy show when he gets down and he starts scratching and he's cutting it looked as though it's him and it sounded as though it's him I would say that's 100% him and, and you know Rick Rubin is more on the you know on more the the sounds versus the cutting you know what I'm saying oh yeah yeah like Rick Rubin did the engineering you know he was you know he did you know he produced the tracks meaning he put and I think he put the beats together I mean he did he made the song you know what I mean but you know cut creators when that played it live in front of the crowd you know what I mean Rick, you know Rick Rubin wasn't back there on the turntables it was cut creator no doubt no doubt and don't forget, if I remember correctly, wasn't this the uh, single that was released in 84? Nah, it was I Need a Beat. I Need a Beat. That's right. That's right. I Need a Beat. I Need a Beat. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for correcting me. Yeah, actually, Thanks I need for a, correcting me. I Need a Beat. But I knew it was one of those hard tracks, you know what I mean, that was that was paying homage to the DJ. But I, I used to rock Dangerous, and this was one of the ones I wanted to play as loud as I could possibly play in the smallest room possible, <laughs> just so I could hear all the different productions or the production quality of the track. I mean, because if you listen to it, this has a lot going on in it. You know what I'm saying? From the cutting, the scratching, the the uh, blending. You know when he, I need, I need, I I I need a zzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzz
I want to talk about this little interlude part, Three the Hard Way, just for a second. It's just LL and Shabazz, you know, messing around, right? But if you think about it, right, back in the day when this album came out, right, there were no CDs, there were no MP3s, there was no streaming service on the internet. It was a tape, and it was a vinyl, an actual vinyl record, side A and side B, same with the cassette. So they threw this on the end of the first side. You can even hear LL in it, turn it over. You know, the hot shit is on the other side, turn it over. And when I went back and listened to this as we prepared for this episode, it took me back to those days. Remember you had to take the tape out, flip it over, put it back in before you had those radios that could flip it automatically? I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, no that, no was, that was part of the whole experience of purchasing an album or purchasing a, uh, a cassette. I mean, there was all that that went into it, the rewind. The fast forward, the pause, taking the tape out, flipping it over. It was a whole interactive experience. And I think, honestly, that's what's missing today with the Internet streaming service. Even though it's real convenient to be able to pull out your iPad, pull out your iPhone, scroll through and hit the MP3 and get it instantly. There was an experience. There was, a, there was something to that. That, 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 you know, connected you to the album, that connected you to the artist. You had something you could hold in your hand. You know what I mean? Oh, definitely, because there was an exchange of energy. Right, that's what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying? Because you were touching something, and we're a tactile type of society. That's just how we are. Mm -hmm. So being able to hold something in your hand. Remember, I think it was either on episode 10 or episode 11 where I was talking about, uh, I think you had asked the question, Scott, what's on my playlist? You know what I mean? And I said, well, I don't have a playlist. I keep CDs and on my six-CD changer in my car. And then I ran down what that was. And I've said, you know, it's probably funny that people hear me talk about that I still have CDs. And I've talked about how I like having the album art and things of that nature. Right. Well, you're speaking about that same experience back then that I'm still trying to stay connected to now because of that. Mm -hmm. I mean, like you said, this interlude, you, you, like you said, it's time to flip it over. You like this side, the other side's better. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I mean, you have to flip, you know, whether it was the album, like you said, the vinyl, or by this time, I wasn't really rocking too much rap vinyl. You know what I mean? Because I, I needed to carry it around. Right. So I was rocking a lot of tapes when this came about, but uh, I definitely, definitely agree. It was part of the experience, that exchange of being able to flip that thing over and, yeah. and go through that. Because one side, when you play one side, it actually rewinds the other side. Yeah. <laughs> and once you got that continuous play, <laughs> you know, whether it was on your Walkman or whether it was on your boombox, you could take a 180-minute tape and that joint play all night. Oh, 180-minute tape, that's a TDK. That's 90 minutes each side. Y'all don't know nothing about that. Oh, come on now. <laughs> What did we say? Hip-hop aficionado. What was it? Aficionado? Hip-hop, you know it. Seasoned. Aficionados. I love that word. Seasoned. Man. I got yeah, to find other ways to use that word. I love it. Hey, Scott, and always remember, I slapped hip-hop on the ass. <laughs> <laughs> That's something that I think the kids these days are missing on that. Like, you and I and Debt can say, I mean, a whole generation of people like us can say, the purple tape. And you know exactly what the hell I'm talking about when I say the purple tape, right? Right, 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 right. No, no, the purple tape started a lot of fights. <laughs> I'm going to tell you that now. But I'm talking oh, about yeah. just the physical, just having that tangible object in your hand, the purple tape. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. There's nothing, there's no concept of that right now. You know, it's, it's all about streaming. 
YouTube, on demand. I want it right now. I don't think kids these days would have the patience to take a tape out of its, out of its holder, put it into a, a deck, hit rewind, wait for it to rewind, <laughs> right? Or, right, right, or, right? Or try to find the song that you're looking for. Now, remember, we were experts at this, man. Like, you were fast forward and trying to find an actual song. You stop it, press play, and you knew exactly where you were based on the little blurb of song that, that, that hit when you hit play. You knew exactly where you were. I mean, we knew those tapes. It was, it was, it yeah. was Name That Tune in the Hood. Yeah. <laughs> we, we knew those, those albums backwards and forwards. I mean, there was no track one, track two, track three, track four. You hit play, it was like, right, right. and you knew exactly where the hell you were. You knew whether you had to go for You knew whether you passed it or you knew, you know what I'm saying, that you didn't get there yet based on the song that was playing at that moment. You know, we were forced to study the album whether we wanted to or not. No doubt. And, and it made us become more involved or more informed, excuse me, as to what we were consuming because we knew about Rick Rubin because on that tape it said produced by Rick Rubin. You understand what I'm saying? Now, it took me about, I would say maybe four or five months to figure out that he was a white cat. I had no idea because I didn't put the dots together from Crush Groove to Rick Rubin. Right. You understand what I'm saying? It, 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 those dots hadn't yet connected. So it took, once those dots connected, I was like, oh, <laughs> that's that, oh, wow. Yeah. And then here comes the Beastie Boys hard, you know what I'm saying? And that whole, you know, but anyway, we'll talk about Rick <laughs> oh, yeah. for several hours, I'm sure, in one episode. But, yeah. but you're right. There, there, there was that interaction with the music. Wouldn't you agree, Dad? Exactly. It made you feel like you was part of everything, like the person was in the room with you. I remember sitting in my boy's house drinking 40s of old English. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going way back. 40s of old English. Mm. We got our Adidas lace. I'm going to tell you now, in the wintertime, lace Adidas was the worst thing for you to have because your feet got cold. <laughs> Snow got in your Adidas, all that stuff. Yeah. But when you sitting, you sitting in your boy's house and people didn't know about Project, they know about Project's heat. <laughs> I'm telling you now, the Project's had some serious heat where you couldn't do yes, nothing around in a wife beater and some shorts because the Project's heat was turned on high all the time. And you put that on, and it was like LL and his boy was in the room. Like, his boy was on one side of the room, LL was on the other side of the room, and you you playing tennis match with your head going back and forth as they saying whatever they saying. Yo, that right there was what I'm missing nowadays. Wow, we talked more about this track than I ever thought we would. This is a little, you know, it's just LL messing around. <laughs> I don't. I don't think it was more or less about the track. I think it was more or less about what it it alluded to. Yeah. It alluded to the fact that we miss the studio days when yeah. when you could relate to everybody in the studio. I think that's what we missed. Yeah. Yeah. And you could. Oh, that, that's what's missing now. Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, for me, this this track here, even though it's not really a track, it's just LL fucking around. But it it brought realism to the process of making this album, and you know, it was funny. And then not to mention. There were some artists that actually uh, sampled them messing around. Like when he said um, the whole Three the Hardway thing, I mean, Bahamadia took that and used that for her hook on her Three the Hardway track, man. We gonna rock this motherfucker like Three the Hardway? She actually took that and used that. No doubt, no doubt. Yeah. We gonna rock this motherfucker like Three the Hardway. LL Cool J is hard as hell. Battle anybody, I don't care, you tell. I excel, they all fail. Gonna cancel double L motherfucker. 
Chappelle's. Now, I think it's safe to say that this was this was the monster track on this on this album right here. This is what introduced LL to the world right here, Rock the Bells. Do you guys agree? I will agree that it introduced him to the world at large, but yeah. hip-hop heads knew him already. Right. Knew he's about to make a freaking smash. Right, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. This this track here was ridiculous. Rick Rubin just the production on this, I mean, he borrowed from so many elements of music. He borrowed from the DC Go-Go. He borrowed from the traditional boom-bap sound that was going on and relevant hip-hop at the time. And LL just smashed it. He just he just smashed it, man. He just, the whole track, he just told you how dope he was. Ridiculous track, man. And now, you talk about the eclecticness of the beats mm-hmm. that Rick borrowed from. Mm-hmm. Let's just, you know, he had the mixing in the guitar. Uh, that scratch sample was from the ACDC song, uh, Flick the Switch. Oh, okay. I didn't know All that. Right. Yeah. So, and then the synth was from the song Rocket in My Pocket by Sharon. Electro Disco producer was Jean-Marc Sharon. And then the beats were from the Trouble Funk song, Saturday Night in, in the Park. Mm. You know what I mean? Those were all the, all that stuff was sampled for this track. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And at the same time, you had, you know, the cut, you know, the DJ cut creator. He was using the 808 drum machine, mm-hmm. and that is what formed that baseline track. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So you figure, you know, cut creator came in with his piece of it, and Rick Rubin came in with that engineering rap. You know what I'm saying? With that whole engineer side of it. So now we're taking it from the DJ and we're bringing in that engineer as well. So we're bringing in another layer of hip hop right now. And then of course the MC. So now we have a three tier. We got that three legged stool hanging out in hip hop now. When you look at the whole thing that was going on back then with Rick Rubin and L coming together, L dropping out of school in order to do this. I mean, don't forget, you know, LL had cats in the 90s we're, we're talking about 84, 85, mm-hmm. and in 1996, cats were walking around with one pant leg up. <laughs> think, think, think about that. And in, and in, and in 2000, this, this was the quintessential track, in my opinion, that helped propel rap into that next stratospheric level. Because let's not forget, in 2004, they had their first Rock the Bells festival. You know what I'm saying? I mean, and 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 so they're naming, you know, events after this. Yeah, man. LL was just so massive to the culture back then. Even now, even still now. But back then, like I was saying on the last, on a couple tracks before, LL was to us kids anyway was was God in the flesh. Oh yeah, man. I used to be in my kitchen doing dishes. <laughs> you know, with 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 my boombox sitting on the kitchen table, little little dinette joint, and. Because I had to do the dishes, my mom didn't bother me. She just had me turn it down just a little bit. You know, I couldn't kick my volume way past 10. Mm-hmm. I'd have to have it on eight and a half. <laughs> but I mean, this was, you heard this coming out of every, if you heard this coming out of everywhere. Mm-hmm. This was like, we are the world for freaking hip hop. You heard, yeah, you, you heard this coming from everybody. Yeah, man. And I think back to, you know, when we, when we talk about different tracks, right? I think about what I was doing at the time or, or what I was into at the time this this particular track that we're talking about came out and what I think about what I remember the most about this particular song here is my older brother 
my older brother Jason, LL was everything. You know, that was his favorite. That was his favorite rapper. That was his favorite of all time. He dressed like him, tried, you know, everything. And so every time I hear this song, I think about my brother. I mean, he was into some things back then, you know, so he was able to pull off, you know, a lot of things that LL was pulling off back then. But I definitely remember those days and, and, and you know, me looking up to him. You know, I looked up to him the same way I looked up to LL. So that, that brings me back to those days. I definitely yeah. feel you, man. I definitely feel you. Listen, rock the bells. This song made you want to dance, made you want to fight. It made you want to do a whole lot of stuff in the party. Mm-hmm. You're a grabber of chicks. Because remember, chicks had that little, that, that salt and pepper weave that came off to the side. It was just so You want to grab that and just just be behind her dance and grab her waist and grab that little side piece off her hair, snatch that little, little sewn-in piece on the side of her head off, dancing with her to rock the bells. This song was one of the ultimate hype songs. Like, whoa, yeah. where did he come? This song is still legendary. You it put is. that on nowadays, and it just blows people away. So, yeah, yeah I, the, the, oof, rock the bell. It's that timelessness. That's what makes it, you know, there's no classic. It's not a, it's, it's, it transcends an era. It transcends, you know, the word classic. It's just, you know. Exactly. It's, it's we've, just a timeless we've, song. we've said the same thing about uh, Eric B. Rockham. Mm-hmm. Run DMC. I mean, that was how long? How many? That's like 30 years ago. 30 years, man. 30 years. So would you say that this is the best song on the album? To me? No. No? To me, uh, it's up there. It's one of the best. One of the best on the album is up there. Mm -hmm. I think it is. I think this is LL's anthem right here. You know what I mean? Like, when you put this song on. I definitely agree it's LL's anthem. Mm Mm-hmm. When he gets inducted no into the when he gets yeah. inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, this is what they're gonna be playing in the background when he walks up to the podium. <laughs> oh, True. he's not in there. True. I I don't he's know. He's not in there yet. I don't think so. I don't I I don't think so either. I you haven't put him in there yet. Yeah, yeah. Like, come you. on. There's certain people you look at in football. Like, yo, what? Are you serious? Mm-hmm. He he deserves to be in the, the Hall of Fame already. Mm-hmm. But you haven't put him in there yet. Right. So yeah. Yeah. So, John, have we have we covered LL's best song yet on this record, or we, or we didn't hit it yet? Nope. Right. Nope. We haven't gotten there yet. I'm and, win. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. I do agree with you that this is LL's anthem. Listen, my ears are bleeding. It is the definite hype song. I agree 100% with that. Mm-hmm. But there is a quiet sleeper on here that I'm telling you right now, if you really go back and look and listen to the entire radio CD, and I, and I know that we have for this exercise. Mm-hmm. I'm speaking more to the podcast listeners. If you go back and listen to this, you'll hear it, and we haven't gotten there yet, so I'm not going to give it away right now. But one of the best lines to me or one of the best verses to me in this whole thing was when L was like, uh, you bring the wood, pecker out, bring the wood. <laughs> yeah. The bells are ripping in, we're ripping through the body and soul. Why did you like Cool J? We like rock and roll. You know what I mean? I like the fact that if you look at this whole stanza right here, he says he gives homage right now to all the music that was out. And I think that was that Rick Rubin influence because Rick Rubin co-wrote this uh, along with L. But, uh, you know, why do you like Cool J? We like rock and roll because it ain't the glory days with Bruce Springsteen. Bruce Springsteen, what was his song out? Glory days. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Remember that? Yeah. And I'm not a virgin. So I know I'll make Madonna scream. Madonna's like a virgin song. That's easy. You know, you hated Michael and Prince all the way ever since. 
You know what I mean? And he just keeps going all the way through it, and it's Rock the Bells. The only hook in this whole thing is Rock the Bells. Yeah. This has to be one of the shortest hooks yeah. <laughs> in yeah. all of hip-hop. I'm not sure when this happened, right? When it became, quote-unquote, uncool to like different genres of music. You remember back then, in 84, 85, you know, the 80s or the early 90s or whatever like that, people, when I say people, I mean all people, we listen to all kind of music. You know what I mean? We listen to, to, to rock and roll. We listen to hip-hop. We listen to whatever. You know what I'm saying? No doubt, I mean, no doubt. And the influence was there. I mean, you can hear it in this track right here. You know what I'm saying? I mean, Rick Rubin injected all of that into this music, man. I mean, so I'm not sure when it became uncool to like different genres of music. I mean, I'm not sure well, when that happened. You know something I thought about just as we were talking about Rock the Bells? There's certain songs that come out. If you could say certain things to it, that song is a hit. Mm-hmm. If you could see yourself doing that Denzel line, King Kong ain't got nothing on me. <laughs> if, he, if you could say that, you got Rock the Bells playing in the background, you know he meant that shit. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so if you sit up there, you hear something, I'm sick of these MF and snakes on this MF and play, and Rock the Bells is playing in the background. You know that's a hit. You got to have something hardcore like this in the background, man. I'm, I'm just certain, certain lines, certain lines. When you, when I strike down on you, and you will know that my name is the Lord. Rock the bell, yo. You know it's going down. <laughs> <laughs> I need a beat. This was technically LL's debut song. And then it was remixed almost immediately. But you know what? I went back and listened to the original version. I think I like the original version better. It's so much more minimal. You know what I mean? The the remix, it's just a little bit, it's, it's, it stands out from the other tracks on, on the album. You know, the other tracks on the album have a formula that they're following. You know, and obviously the common denominator is Rick Rubin. You know what I mean? But but Jazzy J, when he remixed it, I think, you know, it, it took away from that formula. Okay, I got you. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this was, you know, this was one of one of LL's signature tracks here. And I think one of the, maybe the top two or three records on the album. You guys disagree? Without yeah. Doubt. Yeah. I need it. Yeah, because this, because this was the launch. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you said, this was the jump off for him. Yeah, absolutely. And honestly, this particular track here is significant because I think this is the first time that LL explains what LL Cool J means. He said at the end, uh, ladies love Cool James. If you didn't know what LL Cool J meant or what those letters stand for, he explained it right there for the first time. Right, and don't forget, I mean, this and Crush Groove came out right about the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, because this came out, you know, Crush, Crush Groove de- debuted, what was that? 
uh, October of, I think, 85, right? Because Beach Street was in 84, mm -hmm. and L had that cameo in Crush Groove, and that was 85. That was like October of 85. Mm -hmm. So now you have, right after that, this drops. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because this came out, and like, I'm pretty sure... I, that's going to bug me forever now. <laughs> like, when does this actually drop? <laughs> but I think it was November of 1985. But it's, it was, here's this young kid coming in the door. You know what I'm saying? And he's just blowing the roof off of it. You know, he's he is Antonio Brown taking the top off the defense for the Pittsburgh Steelers for hip-hop back in 1985. Oh, excuse me. You know what I'm saying? Listen, any time a receiver can go and you can play like a joystick like Antonio Brown just did this past weekend, I mean, that's bananas, you know? And everybody knows I'm from the 412, so I have no... I have no shame in my game with that. You know, all shout out to Sixburg, Lord of the Rings, you know. But anyway, so you so so you figure, man, that's what L did though. He kicked the door off the hinges. Yeah. He opened up hip hop, in my opinion, to take it down so many different avenues. I agree. Next track, that's a lie. Now, I can't wait to hear what y'all say about this track here because for me, this track had me rolling. Even though it's not really a, a, a comedic thing, but I mean, we all know somebody, you know, in the hood that's, that, that, fits, <laughs> that fits the bill. <laughs> right? You know, folks. You know. Because we just talked about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to name any names, but we all. No, no, no. We, 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 we all know. You know what I'm saying? Listen, and I'm going to tell you right now, he wore this title, The Best in the World. God rest his soul. Calvin Beatty from Morristown, New Jersey. I love that, that, that brother. No matter what he went through in life, no matter how things turned out for him, he always had an upbeat in life. And he accepted his title as the greatest liar in Morristown. And he laughed about it. Like, yeah, that was a, a tough lie. Sometimes... We sit up and criticize people for lying and telling stories, and, and we don't understand that certain things may be missing from their lives, that they need to tell those stories to make themselves feel secure. Yeah. Or just the fact that they they like to entertain us. 
I don't know which one it was for him, but I do know one thing. That brother was one of the greatest liars that ever did it. And we need to accept certain people who are the greatest liars in life that are around us and never did it. Because you know what? It's not lying to the point we're going to beat him up or hurt him or do something wrong to him. We sit up there and acknowledge and laugh at their lies. Those people that you can acknowledge and laugh at their lies, mm-hmm. those are the ones you sit up there and should accept. Like, yo, you are one of the best that ever did it. And I say that about Calvin Beatty. He's the best that ever did it. Like I said, God rest his soul, brother. Mm. And think about it, too, man. I mean, when somebody's that good of a liar, everybody knows. You know, everybody knows they're not telling the truth. You know? And it comes to a point like, why? You know, and you explained it good right there, that I mean, it's obviously something that they need you know and even though it's probably not what ll was was talking about here ll with this particular track here he was talking about the record companies how they came to him with the bullshit about the things that they could do for him if he were to sign with them and you know the money the girls the cars so he's basically you know this is a parody of the record industry you know exactly exactly but just you know um for me the thing that really the thing that stands out to me with this track here has nothing to do with, with lying. This is Russell Simmons. You know, he's the guy, he's the, the record executive that, that's feeding the lies to LL. You know what I mean? And the thing I like about this track is the thing I like about Crush Groove, right? I mean, you saw the street version of Russell Simmons, you know, before he found Buddha or whatever the heck he's doing right now. This was street Russell. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Before he became Zen Russell. And that's well, don't forget why they used to call him Rush. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we all have heard. Ah, oh, man, it's just crazy. Thing. He always smokes dust. He's got his own yeah. room. <laughs> Come on, man. We all. <laughs> he even talks about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's just be honest. He talks about it, yeah. about how much of a wild dude he was back then. Yeah. So it's not no secret. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Now, John, I don't know, man. I think this might be the track that you were talking about. I don't know how you guessed that, but yes, it is. <laughs> Listen, let me let me let me just let me just tell you. If you if you played your rock and you played Rock the Bells, to me, they can almost be merged into one long song. Mm. Because the beats are, are close. 
You know what I mean? But to me, your rock outshines Rock the Bells. Yeah. Hands down. You know what? And I can't just... Lyrical, lyrical content. Mm-hmm. I mean, just everything he puts down in this, even the beat to me, is better than Rock the Bells. Mm-hmm. Your rock is like the ultimate like ego song. You know what I mean? I agree with you. For an album like this, radio, where LL spent, what was it, 10, 11 tracks? Basically telling you how dope he is. For this one to be really the last one where he's telling you how dope he is as an MC, he couldn't have picked a better one. You'll rock, and I agree with you, John. You know, I said before that Rock the Bells, you know, was my favorite track on radio, and it is. Rock the Bells is my favorite one. I agree that You'll Rock is the best track on this album. The complexity of of his lyrics, the beat went went ridiculously hard. I mean, Big Rubin, again, he pulled from that DC go-go. You can hear the bongos in the background and everything. And you said another thing, too, on another track that we that we talked about on this record. You talked about the poetry. You talked about how, how LL talked about the poets. I mean, he did the same thing on this particular track here. He talked about Shakespeare. He talked about Edgar Allan Poe. He talked about how he was doper than them. But, um, you know, it was just, you know, amazing to me how the MCs from back in the day they compared themselves to poets. No doubt, no doubt. Mm-hmm. And and how many verses is this? And again, with the short hook, two words, your rock. Yeah, that's the hook. Yeah, no doubt. Cut creator. <laughs> if you know one of the one of the one of the reasons I I think this is the most the, 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 just the hands down the best track mm-hmm. is because you gotta you gotta you you gotta picture me now i'm sitting in my room with my boom box with my corked up wall so the sounds bouncing off that wall coming right back to my face and you have that simple drum beat that real simple drum beat so all you hear are lyrics and he goes dark with his lyrics right here he has like you said he mentions every poet shakespeare edgar Allan poe he did wordplay off of theirs, and he just gives it to you. So this is all bouncing off my waffles. I got my boombox turned up to 15 <laughs> and the bass, and it's so simple. It's like everybody got out the way. This was that last track, like you said, for him to just say his last statement. Right. The production got out of the way. Cut Creator got out of the way. I mean, Cut Creator, you know, he had to get his little part in there, but... For the most part, he's out of the way in this song. It's just all L. You know what I'm saying? And he's like, now nah, I'm going to dedicate this round to my favorite street. You think about it every time that you hear this beat. In the other jam you hear, just disregard. This is the national anthem of the boulevard. And he just keeps, and he hasn't even told you now. He set up what the boulevard is in your head. See, I'm loyal to the bully because it taught me to deal. Certainly the place to be, and that's how I feel. And then he tells you, Farmer's Boulevard, nicknamed the bully. You know what I mean? 47th will surrender. Delancey's in fear. Queens Boulevard is soft. They don't come around here with gazelles on my face. Because that's the B-boy, right? Gazelles, no lenses. I will hold my space. That's the B-boy stance. That one, that one leg up on the wall. <laughs> with the Kango on. Now, I don't know about you, but, you know, I couldn't afford a Kango. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because getting the Kango in Pittsburgh was a, was a little bit more difficult than getting the Kango up in New York. 
Because I had a lavender one and I had a gray one. But I show up. It's like, nah. (laughs) It's not. I was a spoiled kid. I'm not going to lie. I was a spoiled kid. But I'll tell you what, LL is one person should have kept a hat on. A beanie, koofy, something. <laughs> he should have kept something. He looked like a, a, a fat white girl's kneecap on his head. He just oh, my God. <laughs> I was waiting. You're stupid, yo. See, we getting down to the end of the album. I was waiting for that to come. <laughs> he do. Yeah, I'm not. Listen, I'm not afraid of LL. I could box, too. LL, you wrong. I ain't forgot. I can't fight Tyson, but I'll fight you. I'll fight you. You wrong, LL. Mr. Beige. Mm-hmm. Oh, come on, man. Now, listen, man, you and that beige nonsense, you got to, you know what I'm saying? That's, that's you know, that's, oh, that's. Oh, now you call me a racist? Are you calling me a racist? <laughs> I am He's calling beige. you. He is not Carmel. He is not brown skin. He's beige. Okay. So when you want to see me, LL, come and apologize. Just don't grab me. Don't grab me. That's all. Listen, I want to, I want to just be honest with you. You, I don't understand you sometimes. <laughs> He's fucking crazy. I'm just going to be honest with yeah. you. His last verse, like you said, is where he gives homage to Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah. He yeah, shouts yeah. out Picasso. Right. He shouts out Godfather. Right. You know, understand what I'm saying? I mean, everything. Number one, B boy. He's telling you, I'm the number one B boy. Mm-hmm. Everybody wanted to be that B boy. Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying? The freshest, the flyest, the dopest. Mm hmm. You know, what I mean, definitely. But he said, he said, the, number one. Right. He said the great Edgar Allan Poe. Now, my thing is, man, you don't just pull that out of a rhyme book. You got to nah. know, you got to know something about literature to say something like that. You know what I mean? I'm not trying to say he was an idiot, but I'm trying to say that the artists from back then and, and maybe even artists today, like, you know, what we call the quote unquote real hip hop artists. They know and understand some things about English language. They know and understand some things about art. They understand some things about literature. And they understand that what they're saying and the process of creating their art borrows from, you know, literature, borrows from poetry and things of that nature. So I appreciate it when I see things like that in, in, in songs like this, man. No doubt, man. No doubt. Because, and again, it just tells you where his mind was at the time because he was the one who wrote it. You know what I mean? That's where he was a young kid learning about literature in high school. Right. You know what I mean? So it seeped into his developmental mind, and it came out through his art form, mm-hmm. which he, you know, he does hip-hop. So that's, you know, there's that outlet. And at the same time, you cannot understand music as someone who writes lyrics and not understand poetry. Those two are synonymous. He's trying to convey to the future, the future of hip hop, the way to do it. I see you in between class for my mind, that's a task. One glimpse of your eyes and my heart beats fast. A mysterious fantasy, lovely young queen. Your pose so subtle, just like a magazine. Come and visit my sister, then in the living room. Eat donuts and milk, listen to a pop tune. Used to be my babysitter. I want you for my woman. Without you, girl, my life is bitter like a lemon. All right, last track, last track. I want you. Now, this is the second ballad on the album. And it's funny because when I went back and, you know, and listened to this again to, to, to prep for this episode, I forgot about this track. 
to be honest with you, I totally forgot about this one, man. This is the second battle on the track. And when you listen to it, you can kind of tell, right, that LL is kind of putting the formula together that became I Need Love on the next album. You know what I mean? I mean, he's even using some of the same words from the first ballad on this on this album. He said, eat donuts and milk and listen to pop tunes. He said it again on this track. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what I what he did with these two hip-hop ballads, mm-hmm. as conversely as what he did on his next album, mm-hmm. where he slowed his tempo down, he slowed the beat down. Mm-hmm. Cause this was still that up tempo. This was, you know, what I'm saying this. This this was still more of a lyricist like with hip hop. And then once he goes with the, you know, once he comes with his next album with it, which is I Need Love, everything is slowed down. Right. You know what I'm saying? It was just funny to me, man. Listening to these lyrics, you can tell that LL is still young in the mind. You know what I'm saying? You can still he's still 16, 17 years old, talking like a 16 or 17 year old kid would. You know, I repeat, you know, again, eat donuts and milk, listen to a pop tune. I mean, that's him rapping to a girl. He's trying to he trying to kick game to a girl and he's using the same <laughs> he's using the same lines that he did in the other song. And think about what you was doing 16, 17. You didn't know how to talk to a girl, really, like like you talk to him now. You know, you're not appealing to intellect. Nah, man. I mean, for go ahead, man. Nah, go ahead, go ahead, that hold on, hold on. Hey, he disrespected me. Who are you talking to? I'm talking to IGB? Yo, yo, hey, homie, yo, listen. I done already warned y'all. It is what it is. I go back. Y'all want to keep it up? Y'all keep playing. Y'all light skin, so I get half nervous around y'all. So, you know what I'm saying? I took one of y'all. Somebody got to stop cutting my cousin off. Now, I'm supposed to be security for everybody, but I'm here with him. So, you know what I'm saying? I came in his car, I leave in his car. I ain't got no, you know, all I got is a bike. So, I go back. One of y'all, somebody gonna get choked out tonight. What the hell is wrong with you, man? Listen, man, listen. Nigga, listen, man. My knuckles get itchy, nigga, real quick. All right? My knuckles get itchy. My knuckles get itchy. That mean I gotta choke somebody out. So, I'll let my cousin talk. Or it's IGB all day, all day. You understand what I'm saying? I go back, I go back all day. You know, I what is born to the guys, oceans and the seas, you know, and the leaves. Peace. There's something. See? Now, now, see what I got to do? I got to call him in there. See what it is? Now, interrupt me again. I just, it's going it's to be some bone popping the neck snapping. <laughs> I don't understand why we got to pay for it. Security, if the security may beat us up, right. I don't understand that. Right. You ain't paying. I feed them chicken wings and, and beer. What, what are you paying, man? <laughs> he already told me. He said you might as well just pay me in beer and chicken wings. That's where the money's going to go anyway. So, just, that's, oh, hey, listen, stop. Don't grab me, mother. Listen, all right. <laughs> you get fired tonight. <laughs> You know, I don't know what you call it, you know, like a teen heartthrob or whatever like that. But, I mean, you know, this is LL cementing his status as that, that the rap teen heartthrob like the. I definitely know what you mean. This was the first hip hop sex symbol. Yeah, period. That's, that's what I meant to say. Period. Right, right. Period. This was, you know what I mean? This this was the first. That's why he came in with his shirt off. You know what I mean? His 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 whole persona, his name. Lady Love, Cool James. Mm-hmm. Every everything about everything he was doing was to attract women to hip hop. Mm-hmm. 
because at that time, hip-hop was male-dominated. You know what I mean? Other than a couple here or there, you know, like I said, sequence in the very beginning. But, you know, you had very, very few. MC Light came along, you know, late, later on, and, you know, salt and pepper came along later, you know. But as far as bringing the sexy to hip-hop, it wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Hip-hop was still that masculine, you know what I mean, chest, you know what I mean, fist bumping, you know what I'm saying, there we go, you know, this, that, and the other. Rhyme lyrics, I'm better than you, so on and so forth. You know, now there were some lyrics about I'm better than you at getting women, but this was the first time it was the, the lyrics were directed at women in order to attract women in not a degrading way. You know what I mean? There isn't any bitch and hoe and all that up in here. You know what I mean? He's talking about making her some gin and tonic. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And we're sitting back. We're, you know, I'm whispering he's a jerk. You know what I mean? I'm trying to take you off your man. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm being smooth with it. At the same time, he's, he's telling you the other side of it, which is the shy side of him. You know what I mean? Which is, you know what I mean? That coy, I had the subsequent, my soul, cowardness kept me a hold. You know what I mean? Kept, kept, cowardness kept a hold of me, excuse me, to instigate romance, not to break down and cry. I mean, who, who's talking about crying <laughs> in a hip-hop track? Right, right. And that's what I meant when I said that he was submitting himself as like that teen sex symbol, whatever like that. He was appealing to that. I think he might have been the first one, right? I can't think of someone who was going at it from this direction nah. prior to Yeah, nah. exactly, exactly. Uh, and I put it on to Mac the ladies. I ain't going to lie. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Listen, I'm not going to lie. Listen, 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 listen. Let me help the podcast listeners understand something. <laughs> this is 1985. There wasn't any texting, cell phones, you had the telephone that was in one part of the house with the long cord. Yeah. All right? And it was the squiggly cord joint, all right? And you would pull that, close your door. I'm talking about what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And turn the radio on in the background. Or by, you know, by this time, I would probably have all the lyrics in my head and talk on the phone to somebody who, you know, that was our first Facebook. You didn't know the girl, but you got her number from a friend yeah. who said something, and you got, and she got your number from a friend, and so on. She lived three towns over. Right. I I remember, <laughs> I remember living in Coriopolis, PA. For summer, I called to Aliquippa, Pennsylvania, which was about 20 minutes away from my house, maybe 30. All right, but it cost money because it was considered long distance because of the plan we had on my own phone. So when the bill came, the bill was like an extra $35, $40. My mom was pissed. Mm. She was like, who the hell's calling Alec Whipper? <laughs> yeah, man. I remember stretching that cable. I remember you know stretching. what I'm saying? Yeah. And so you would, so this was, this, this was something that I can reach, you know, that she could hear. She liked LL. And now I'm incorporating that into my telephone love game. <laughs> Bamboo earrings, at least two pair A Fendi bag and a bad attitude 
That's all I need to get me in a good mood. She can walk with a switch and talk with street slang. I love it when a woman ain't scared to do a thing. Standing at the bus stop, sucking on a lollipop. Once she gets pumping, it's hard to make the hottie stop. She likes to dance to the rap jam. She's sweet as brown sugar with the candy yams. Honey coated complexion, using cabinet. Let's see it for the girl, she's from around the way. As we end today's episode, as the good Reverend Doctor would say, I'd like to end this on a positive note, but we can't because of the events in France and the events taking place all over the world. My heart goes out to the people in France. My heart goes out to those families who have lost loved ones due to police brutality or overzealous officers. But I would like to say this. One day, soon, I hope robbing, killing, assaulting, disrespecting, and shooting our own would be as deplorable in the hood as snitching. Because we have people sit sit up there all day long and they say, oh, no snitching, stop the snitching. But you're quick to march when an officer sits up there and kills a black man or you know one of these leaders or whatever says something about black people or a store has issues about serving black people but you're not quick to march when in your own neighborhood another black kills another black or you're not quick to sit up there and say we need to stop worrying about snitching and tell who did it So my positive quote of the day is just that. Everybody stay positive and love one another. Peace. All right, everybody, just like to say, you know, thank you and and, and just show some love to some people who, uh, you know, really have been showing me love. And uh, one of the people is my cousin. Her name is Dawn Harrington. Uh, Some of y'all may know her from uh, her Lady Dollar days back when she used to rap. Uh, but then when she was hooked up with BG and, uh, and that whole crew. But uh, today she's doing something different. It's called F-A-W-M. And it's uh, Faith and Wonderfully Made. Um, and it's a great movement for young women. Uh, she's doing it down in the, uh, it's a national movement, but it's, uh, she's spearheading it out of uh, Tennessee. So, you know, check her out. Um, the, uh, the best way to check her is on the, uh, FAWM fan page on Facebook. And from there, basically, you know what I mean? You can, you, you can get at her and, uh, figure out how you can help support our movement because a lot of times we hear about what everyone's doing for the young men in our society. Not too often do you hear about what people are doing for reachbacks for the young women in our society. You know, and what Don and uh, Faithfully and Wonderfully Made is doing is going into the schools, speaking to these young women about uh, how to, you know, 
pride themselves on being young women and not trying to grow up too fast and fulfill some of these idiotic uh, personas that are being perpetrated on them by the mass media through various means from music to uh, art to entertainment, you know, and she's trying to put the young lady back in young lady. So, you know, so definitely support that movement. And again, it's F-A-W-M, Faithfully and Wonderfully Made, and it's on Facebook. Also like to give some love to, uh, you know, always, I'm always showing love, it seems, to my people over there in the 15108. But uh, a lot of people in Coriopolis, a lot of people in Pittsburgh has been picking up the podcast. I definitely want to show you guys some love. And again, you know, much love to uh, Hip Hop Golden Age uh, magazine for uh, supporting us and sponsoring us. Uh, they've, been, they've been doing a lot. Last and utmost and foremost, like to give a shout out to all the veterans of Marine, myself, Hoorah, Simple Five. Shout out to all the veterans. Shout out to my family. You know, I have a very uh, long historical family. I have, I've had family fighting in, for, in defense of this country since 1862, the Civil War. So for me, Veterans Day holds a very uh, huge significance because over 50 members of my family have served in, in service for this country from all different branches. Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, Marine Corps, you know is the best. <laughs> I always tease all my cousins. I have a cousin who served um, during the Afghanistan conflict. He was actually 50 feet away from where they captured Saddam Hussein. So shout out to my cousin Mike Smithson, also known as White Mike. And, uh, you know, out of Pittsburgh, of course, because, you know, that's what he was a part of. And he's a great dude with a great family. I'm very proud that he's my family. So again, shout out Veterans Day. And uh, as I always like to say, three minus four. First and foremost, um, to bridge off what John was saying, I'd like to say happy Veterans Day to all the veterans out there. And also, much respect to you, John. I mean, you're our brother on this show, you know what I mean? And, um, you know, without you, you know, there's no three of us, you know what I mean? So I'd like to give you my... Uh, you know, show you my, you know, utmost thanks and respect for that. Also, my father, Carl Pearson. Happy Veterans Day, Dad. And also, before we close out, what I'd like to say is, you know, peace and respect to Jeff Water, listener Jeff Water. He uh, he's also in the in the podcast game, and um, he had a chance to build a little bit today and discuss, you know, all things hip hop, which is why we do this. This is why we have this podcast. So, you know, one thing that we came to, to know and understand about the podcast game so far is that so far nobody seems to be too big for this. You know, you have some big time hip hop artists and big time stars that are actually doing the podcast thing. They're reaching back and showing love to us as well. So we like to do the same thing with Jeff Wood. He's also a dope hip hop artist. So check him out when you get the chance. We're going to post some of his tracks on the fan page. Make sure everybody keeps listening. You guys enjoy yourselves. Peace. Peace.
words, this beats Bacardi. I go to the show and terrorize MCs, don't you know? Move on my hand like I'm playing the piano. Don't touch the dial, don't change the channel. Don't let me hear you say I ain't debonair. I'm better than any MC out there. As a matter of fact, suckers can't compare. When I'm rocking the mic, people stop and stare.